Thank you. It's good to see you guys. And it's a joy uh, to get to worship with you already through baptism, through singing. And kind of already of just kind of getting our hearts centered around this, this beautiful reality that we're going to chase further in today that Jesus Christ alone is enough. Amen? He's enough for us. He is all we need. He is all we want. And we find our hope in Him. In Christ alone, our hope is found. If you have a Bible with you, or you can grab the one in front of you, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 7. Uh, Hebrews chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 11 this morning, and you're just continuing to walk through Hebrews. Over the last uh, few weeks, we've been talking about how Jesus is the better high priest. And so we've been looking at these beautiful realities of how Jesus is our hope, how he is better than any priest within the old covenant system And he is the hope for our salvation, the hope for our lives. And so we've looked at how he is forever. And we'll continue kind of to chase that theme through. Last week we talked about how how he's greater and better and in the order of Melchizedek. And so if you didn't, uh, weren't here last week, you want to go back and listen to that because that's such an important part of this section of Hebrews, understanding that Jesus is part of a different lineage of priests. He's a different kind of priest. He's a king and a priest who is forever. And this morning, I want to continue to look at how that priesthood is shaped by the law and our understanding of the law and a lot of the things that we sung about, kind of all this will come together as we get into it. So let's just dive right in. Hebrews chapter 7, starting in verse 11. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, What further need would there have been for another priest to rise after the order of Melchizedek? And I'll just pause right there again. If if you weren't here last week, uh, you missed kind of the part of why Melchizedek is so important and Jesus' relation to Melchizedek and why that's not just something that would matter to uh, a Jewish believer, but it matters for us today. So you want to go back and kind of take that in. After the one named after the order of Aaron. For there is a change in the priesthood, there is, for when there's a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. So when a new priest comes on the scene, it, it affects the law. And we'll get into this in a few minutes. If the law was the means, the measuring stick, the standard by which God's people knew what it meant to be perfect, to be like God, to live in a way where they could be in union and communion with God the Father. Verse 13, for the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe. He's talking about Jesus, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it's evident that our Lord was was descended from Judah, and in connection with the tribe, Moses said nothing about the priest. And we'll, we'll kind of come back around this in the weeks ahead. Basically what he's saying is that no priest came out of the tribe of Judah. All the priests came out of the tribe of Levi. So how could Jesus be our great high priest if he's not from Levi? And he's explaining that in this section. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah and in connection with the tribe of Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, talking about the tribe of Levi, but by the power of an indestructible life. Amen? For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. 
So the connection that he's making is that Jesus' uh, right to be a priest is not because he is of the tribe of Levi, but because he has defeated death. Amen? He is risen from the grave. He is a priest forever. And that is why he's a different kind of priest. Verse 18. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. This is the word of the Lord. Now I know uh, there's a lot there. It might be okay, like what, what are we talking about? We're, we're going to get into it. And the best way I know to set it up is like this. So about a week, week and a half ago, we celebrated... Uh, the birthday of our youngest son, Trip. So we have we have four kids, fantastic four. Trip is the youngest, uh, so we have to celebrate his birthday away. Uh, and one of the presents that he received uh, on his birthday was a boppet. Any kids in the room ever play boppet before? Any parents in the room ever been frustrated by boppet before? You know, whether it's the noise or whatever, it's there. But it's not just any kind of boppet. It's like a, a baby Grogu, the Yoda little character boppet. So like you twist his head and all these kind of things and punch him, all that kind of stuff. And so it's this game, and we've been playing it this past week, and what I've realized is this game was, was created to insult people like me. Because you really want to win at this game, but when you lose, it's not just like it's like ant or over, like the, the baby cries when you lose. And, and not only does the baby cry when you lose, you'll hear like the Mandalorian say something like, oh no, you know, or I told you this was a bad idea, kind of thing, just rubbing your defeat in your face as you go through this. And the reason why I share that this morning is because I I think for all of us as human beings, there's something woven into this core of who we are, a desire to be good enough, a desire to measure up, a desire to, to meet the standard. Maybe that's in sports or at school for some of you. Maybe that's in marriage or parenting or at work. We long to be good enough. We long to measure up. We long to arrive at whatever we designate as being successful, meaningful. And that's not just true in life in general. That's also true in our relationship with God. That that every person longs to be good enough. Whether or not they believe in God, they long to be good enough as a human being. And typically when when we as people strive and pursue being good enough, one of two outcomes tend to happen to us. Two responses. The first one is this, discouragement. We try to be good enough. We strive to be good enough. We try to meet the standard, whatever kind of the standard we've set in our mind is, and we constantly feel like we're falling short. We constantly feel like we're missing that mark. We feel the weight of the burden, I will never measure up. This happens in the Christian life. Never going to get it. Never going to get there. Never going to be good enough. Discouragement. But a second outcome that often happens in our lives is overconfidence. It's this feeling that we have arrived, we have made it. Whatever that standard is that we've created, like we've gotten there, we've made it, and it creates pride and arrogance in us. 
here's the problem with both of these responses. Both of these outcomes, these, these desires, this striving, this work to be good enough is based, one, on our performance. Two, it's based on a subjective standard that we create. And when it's based on our effort by a standard we make, we have to ask the question, what happens to us when the standard is not something we create, but it's something God creates? What if the standard for your life and my life is not being a little bit better than everybody else or just getting our act together? What if the standard given by God for you and for me is perfection. Because if the standard is perfection, we all fall short. Which leads to the big truth that that comes out of this text, and it's kind of a a nuance that we're going to look at, but it's so important for us to understand because this was critical for the Hebrew believers that were receiving this letter, and it's critical for us today. Here's the big truth. Perfection cannot be attained through the law. Perfection cannot be attained through the law, meaning your effort and my effort, your best deeds, my best deeds, according to God's holy law given by him to his people, given within the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, We cannot meet that standard. It's impossible for you. It's impossible for me. Let's look again at this passage. Look at verse 11. Now, if perfection, there's our key word, had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise out of the order of Melchizedek? Rather than the one named after the order of Aaron. If the law was sufficient... To make anyone perfect, if you by your good deeds, your best effort could follow the law and be made right in God's sight, why would we need another priest? His argument is that it can't. And if that wasn't implicit, he says it explicitly in verses 18 through 19. We'll look at it again. For on the one hand, a former commandment, talking about the law of the old covenant, is set aside, why? Because of its weakness and uselessness. Here's the key part. For the law made nothing perfect. The law made nothing perfect. So God gave the law to his people. We'll talk about why in a minute. But what the author of the book of Hebrews is saying to his audience, saying to us today, this law cannot make you right in God's sight. It cannot make you good enough by your self-effort and earning. It cannot make you perfect before God. Which creates this tension in us and this question for us this morning. What do we do? What do we do? How can we become good enough? How can we measure up? What do we do? And so before we 
get to the how and the what, we, we need to kind of give some definition and context. So we are on the same page of what we're talking about here. So let's give some definition to the word perfect. Because we see this word multiple times within this passage. And it's actually a word that's used throughout the book of Hebrews talking about Jesus and what he's done. So the word perfect or perfection literally means completion or wholeness. So when he says that the law cannot make us perfect, he's saying it cannot make us whole. It cannot make us complete. And the idea that's here is really the idea of justification. It's a really big word to mean to be made right in God's sight, to be holy, set apart, without sin, without defect, to be righteous, to be without sin, to be forgiven, to be made new. The law can't do that. But here's the problem for you and for me. If we want to be in right relationship with God, if we want to be in communion with Him, if you want to abide in Christ we must be perfect why because God is perfect do you see the gap we were created for God we were created to be with God we were created to know God but God is perfect and because of our brokenness and because of our sin we are not perfect and so there's this infinite void this infinite gap between us and God the law was a means to show the standard by which We could pursue perfection, but we all fall short. None of us on our own are complete and whole before God. The only way we can have an abiding relationship with Him is to be made complete and whole. So let's kind of talk through the context. For this audience, for the people of Israel, Jewish believers coming out of Judaism, the means of being perfect right in God's sight was the law. That was the standard, the Torah. These Jesus followers, and this is kind of where it intersects with our lives today, these Jesus followers who were hearing this message of the book of Hebrews were trying to take what they knew about Jesus and what they learned from the Torah, God's law, and add them together in order to be made right in God's sight. So for any of you who are math people in the room, let's put it in in the form of an equation. Jesus plus the law equals perfection. It's kind of the, the temptation and the struggle for them that we'll take Jesus and what he's done, we'll add the Mosaic law and our trying to keep of that law, put those two things together, and then we will be right in God's sight. And the author of Hebrews is saying, no, that doesn't work. It's not the way we become right in God's sight. It's not Jesus plus something else. It's only through Jesus Christ. But before we give these believers a hard time, we need to recognize two important things. First, we do the same thing. We do the same thing. We do Jesus plus, and you can fill in the blank for your own life. I'll take Jesus plus Christianity or moralism or religion. I'm going to trust in Jesus, but then I'm going to do all these things to try to earn my standard and standing before God. Or we might go another way. You might say it's Jesus plus control. So I'm going to have Jesus in my life, but then... I'm going to do everything I can on my own, in my own power, and try to build my life around me. 
then I'll be good enough. We attempt to be good enough before God on our own terms. Jesus plus us controlling our lives. Or maybe it's Jesus plus comfort. I think for a lot of this, this is it. I'm going to take Jesus, but life's really hard, so I'm going to excuse myself out of obedience. And Jesus plus what I think is right for me in this stage of life that I am, that'll be good enough. God understands. I want to be the best version of myself I can be in light of my life. Jesus plus comfort equals what I need. Or maybe it's Jesus plus comparison. So I'm going to take Jesus and then I'm going to try to be just a little bit better than the people who are around me so I feel better about myself and then I'll be good enough. So before we give the Jewish believers a hard time, we do the same thing. Except we don't do it with the law. We just do it in the course of our own lives. We don't even realize that we're trying to add something to the gospel. What is that for you, friend? What is that for me this morning? Jesus plus what? Or is it just Jesus? But the second thing that we need to know and acknowledge, I know I'm chasing a lot of thoughts, but I want to try to bring us into what this looks like for you and me in personal life is we need to acknowledge that the standard that the Jewish believers have been given was given by God. The reason why this was such a hang-up for them is not because they had figured out this system on their own, but God had given Moses the law. It was God-ordained. It was God-given. It wasn't man-made or culture-made which is where we tend to go. We kind of develop our own system for what it looks like to be good enough, or we look at the world around us or kind of a Christian subculture around us and say, okay, here are the measurements. I need to do these things. Then I'm good enough. Jesus plus these things. But they actually had the law of God. And so here's the point. Here's kind of the bottom line that I want you to think about and wrestle with as we walk through this passage this morning. If we cannot be made perfect through the law, then there's no way we can be made perfect through our own effort. If God's law is not enough to make us right in his sight, there's no way that you and I, by our best deeds, our best efforts, our best parenting, our best living as a Christian, our best morality, can ever measure up to the standard perfection required of us to be in right relationship with God. If there was a means to attain perfection by our own effort, it would have been keeping the law. But what the author of Hebrews is saying, that perfection, being whole, complete, holy, righteous, new in God's sight, cannot happen through the law. Which leads to a few important questions this morning that I want us to chase and we'll kind of walk through this text and hit some big ideas quickly. One question is this, why why did God give the law? Why did he give the law? Why does the law matter to us? Should we care about it at all? Second question, why can't the law save us? Why is the law insufficient? And then third, and I hope this is the question you're thinking about as you're kind of walking through this with me, because this is the question this morning. How do you, how do I, 
how do we become perfect? How can we be made whole? How can we be made complete? And not just in a past experience, but today, in the way in which we live, in the way in which we pursue God, how can we find perfection? So first question, why, why did God give the law? First big idea is this, the law is good. Why did give the law? God give the law? Because the law is good. I want to read from Romans 7.12. The Apostle Paul says it this way. So the law, talking about the Torah, Old Covenant, is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. So sometimes when we read the scriptures, we can kind of paint like Jesus is good, the law is bad. No, scripture is really clear. Old Testament and New Testament, the law is a good gift from God. It was given to him. Kids in the room, how many of you, your parents have rules for your house and rules for you? Anybody? Any kids in the room? How many of you have rules that sometimes you break? Anybody going to be a little bit honest in the room? Okay, some of you, okay, way to, way to go. So, you know, everyone who has a family, if you have parents, you are parents, you have house rules. Eat your vegetables. Get a good night's sleep. Don't lick light sockets. You know, don't juggle knives that are on fire and try to jump off the roof like Superman. I don't know what your rules are. Those are some of ours in the house. You know, we can talk about that later. But house rules are there for a purpose. What is their purpose? To help you thrive. Protection. See, in the same way, the law that God gave his people, the Old Covenant that we read in the first five books of the Old Testament, it was good. The law is good. Let me give you a few reasons why the law is good really quickly. These will all be in your notes if you want to go back and do more study. First, the law is good because it was given by God. It was given by God. And God is good. His character, his purposes. The law is not something that was created by man. It was something given by God. Exodus chapter 20, God spoke the Ten Commandments to Moses. He brought those back to the people. But not only is the law given by God, secondly, the law is good because it reveals God's character. It reveals God's character. It is through the law that we see what holiness is. We understand that God is holy through the law, through all of the rules and the purification and all those things that are there. We understand that God is holy. Through the law, we understand that God is faithful. His continuing to pursue his people and to remain constant is seen through the law. That he is kind, that he is just. The law reveals the character of God to us. Third, the law is a pursuit of God's presence. And this is so important to understanding the Old Testament and the Old Covenant. See, the reason why God gave the law was so that God's people could be in relationship with their God. That it was through the keeping of the law that they had God's presence among them. Same thing for us. We long to be in God's presence. We were created for Him. Leviticus 26, 11 through 13 says this, I will make my dwelling among you. My soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you and I will be your God and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. God's presence was the pursuit of God's people. And the way they pursued God's presence and could come into God's presence is through the keeping of the law. Fourth, the law is good because it demonstrates how to live set apart. 
how to live set apart. God's people were called to be holy, which means to be distinct, which means to be set apart. It means to be different than the culture and the world around you. Well, how do you know how to be different in the world around you? The law. That if God's people were to obey God's law, they would look different than all the nations around them. It would point the nations around them to see the one true God. And lastly, number five, the law is good because it exposes the reality and nature of sin. The way that we understand our sin and the depth of our sin and our need for a savior, our need for atonement is through the law. It shows us the way. Romans 7 describes it this way. What shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Romans 7, 11 says this, For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, the law, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy, the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Here's what Paul is saying. The law is good because it shows us what is bad. It shows us what sin is. It shows us the depth of our need for God's help. And so why did God give the law? These reasons are just a few that show why the law is good. But that leads to a second question. Why can the law not make us perfect? Why can the law not make us right in God's sight, make us good enough, make us whole, make us complete? Second big idea. The law is insufficient. It's insufficient. It helps us understand our sin, but it's not enough to save us from our sin. There's two things that he says about this. You can look at verse 18 and 19. The first is he says the law is weak and useless. Weak and useless. Why does he say that? Well, he's saying it because it reveals our sinfulness. None are righteous, no, not one. None seek after God. But the law also exposes our inability to keep it, which makes it useless. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We, we cannot keep the law. We cannot rescue ourselves from our sin. Our best attempts at perfection, our best attempts at obeying God's law fully and completely fall short. And so it's weak and it's useless. It's helpful because it helps us see these things about God, see these things about us. But it's weak and useless because it cannot save us. Why? Because the law is broken? No, because we're broken. Because we can't keep it. Which leads to the second thing, the law makes nothing perfect. See, the law doesn't make us perfect. This is really important. The law is the standard of perfection. It shows us what needs to happen in order to be made complete, made whole, made right in God's sight. It shows us what perfection looks like. It's a standard, not the means. It's kind of like the difference between having a diet because you want to get healthy and actually dieting. Like it's great to have a diet, but if you don't follow the diet, it's not really helpful, right? Like there is no magic diet that, you know, you you read your diet and it's like this magical wand waves and all of a sudden you're in the best shape of your life, right? A diet requires keeping it. A diet requires using it. 
which means it's dependent on who? You or me, right? It's dependent on us to keep it, to abide by it, to follow it. So the law, it shows the standard, but it's not the means to becoming perfect. And so the law is good, but at the same time, the law is insufficient, which leads to probably the most important question this morning, which is this. How do we become perfect? How do we become perfect? Not just perfect, meaning like good enough to get into heaven, but complete and whole, perfect to be in union and communion with God here and now. Present day, present moment. Because I think for a lot of us, a lot of you, you've grown up around church, you've grown up in church, and so you kind of understand this idea of grace and gospel and salvation and trusting in Jesus to be our Savior. But so much of that is a past experience, not a present reality. For many of us, our present reality is just trying to live the best life we can on this planet or being kind of in this hamster wheel of discouragement. How are we made right in God's sight today, now, tomorrow? How do we become perfect before God? Third big idea. We are in need of a new priest, a new high priest, who can establish a new law. This is so important. We kind of just read over it earlier, but I want to take us back here. Look at verse 12, chapter 7. For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. So here's what he's saying. If the law is insufficient, if the law cannot make us perfect, how do we get around that? How do we become perfect? How do we come right in God's sight? How do we come in relationship with him? We need a new high priest. This is where it all comes together. This is why Melchizedek matters. This is why all the things we've talked about, Jesus bring the high priest, the mediator, the sacrifice, the perfect high priest. All these things come together because there can be no change in the law, the standard of God's perfection, which condemns us unless there is a change in the priest. But praise God. Which leads to our fourth big idea this morning. Jesus is the better high priest. Amen? Jesus is the better high priest. We've talked about all these different aspects of what it means for Jesus to be our high priest. But I want you to listen to what he says in these verses. Let's just start in verse 15 again. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who's become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life, resurrection. For his witness of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. What is that better hope? Jesus is our high priest. So how can Jesus make us 
perfect? That's the question. If we are called to be perfect, if perfection is necessary to be right in God's sight, to be in relationship with him, how does Jesus make us perfect? One, Jesus can make us perfect first because Jesus is perfect. I want to go back. We read this probably about a month ago as we were walking through this passage. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 through 9. Listen what the author of Hebrews has already said about Jesus, our perfect high priest. This is what he says. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And this is important. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who would obey him. Here's what he's saying. Jesus isn't perfect just because he's God. Jesus is perfect because he has obediently followed God's plan. He's obeyed the Father in full. He has suffered in our place. He learned obedience through what he suffered. And he is perfect. He is complete. He is whole. Not because he had a defect before, but he is now the perfect high priest because what he's accomplished for you and for me. That is good news this morning. It's not Jesus plus something equals perfection. Jesus equals perfection. Amen? And not just perfection because he is God, but perfection because he paid the price for your sin and my sin on the cross. Jesus equals perfection. Jesus is perfect. You might say, okay, that's good news. But what does that mean for me? I'm glad he is perfect. How do I become perfect? Let me fast forward us a little bit. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 or 2. And I want you to notice the language the author of Hebrews uses to describe Jesus. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race set before us. And listen to this. Looking to who? Jesus The founder and what? Perfecter. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter, same word, of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is perfect, but not only is Jesus perfect, this is important, church, Jesus is the perfecter. He is the one who makes perfect. He is the one who makes complete. And so we set our eyes on him. Justification, being made right in God's sight, being good enough, happens through faith in Jesus Christ. Not just in a past experience, but in a present reality. Our union, our relationship with God, our communion, our fellowship with God are because Jesus is our perfecter. He is the one who makes us perfect. And so perfection cannot be attained through the law, but Jesus is the perfecter of a broken people. Amen? And not just of our sin in the past, now we just kind of do our best life now. No, in Christ, this is so important, in Christ, today, we are righteous in God's sight. We are holy in God's sight. We are blameless in God's sight. You are good enough in God's sight, not because of what you've done, but because what Christ has done for you. 
And so it's not Jesus plus your best efforts. It's not Jesus plus religion or Christianity. It's not Jesus plus your control over your life or Jesus plus your comfort. No, Jesus, only Jesus. Only Jesus. And so we give our full lives to him, not to earn something from him, but because what he has given to us. And we are not only righteous and perfect in God's sight, we are being made like Christ. If you're in Christ, slowly but surely, the desires of the flesh are dying. And the longing and love for God is growing day by day. And that may not be what you feel today, but that is what is true if you are in Christ. Pastor Richard Sibb said it this way, Often I think to myself, what am I? A poor, sinful creature. But I have the righteousness of Christ, and that answers all. I am weak in myself, but Christ is strong, therefore I am strong in him. I am foolish and unwise in myself, but in him I have wisdom. What I lack in myself, I find in him. His righteousness belongs to me. Being clothed with this, I am safe against my conscience, hell, wrath, whatsoever comes against me. This is so important, church. Listen to this. Though I have a daily experience of my sins, yet there is more righteousness in Christ then there is sin in me. There is more righteousness in Christ than there is sin in you this morning. Amen? And so we run to the Savior. We lay down our lives. We lay down our pride. We lay down our best efforts. We run to the Savior. So this morning, the message, the call, is are you trying to Become perfect, become whole, become complete through your best going at it as a Jesus follower, through trying to earn God's favor through your best works? Or is Jesus Christ alone your perfecter, your righteousness? Or in the words of Hebrews 7 in our passage, is he your better hope through which you now draw near to God? This morning, as we come into a time of response, you know, every time we hear God's word proclaimed, we have an opportunity to respond. And so before we sing, I just want to give you a space. You can bow your head where you are and and ask this question that we ask kind of every single week. Holy Spirit, how would you have me respond this morning? What is my next step of obedience? For some of you this morning, your response is faith, to trust in the finished work of Jesus in your place. You've been trying religion. You've been trying your best effort. You've you've been trying to make yourself right before God. Friends, you cannot. If the law cannot make you perfect, you cannot make you perfect. Only Jesus. So this morning, friend, 
you've never experienced being made right in God's sight, relationship with God, new life, new creation, trust in Jesus. Turn from your sin, trust in him. We stand and sing in a few moments. You can go out in the, in the hall by the hub. There'll be men and women who would love to share the gospel with you, help you respond to Christ. For those of us who are here this morning and who are Jesus followers, believers, maybe your response this morning is repentance. I gave you that equation, Jesus plus fill in the blank. What is that blank for you this morning? Maybe you've tried to have faith in Jesus and then everything else is just kind of some excuses or it's control, it's your own comfort, it's your own morality. Jesus is not all to you this morning. It's an opportunity to repent, to confess, God forgive me, help me. For some of us it might be obedience. Allegiance to Jesus above all else, above family, above job, above career, above the American dream. Jesus, you're everything. Help me to walk in obedience, to follow you. Maybe it's worship this morning, to run with endurance, to live sacrificially, to give generously. Father God, I just pray for my brothers and sisters this morning. We thank you that your word helps us see what you've done for us. Lord, help, help us to understand that we cannot be made right in your sight any other way than by Jesus. But Jesus is not just our perfecter in the past. He is our perfecter now, our great high priest. Would you let those realities of the gospel bring a deep joy, a deep confidence, a deep humility, a deep hope inside the hearts of my friends this morning? Would you change us and make us more like you? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.